0: Welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST-114, the Leaving Trains album, Fuck. It's our second Leaving Trains record. We we love the Leaving Trains on this show. The first record was great, this record is great, and Brent, we've got a great special guest. Yes, Sam Merrick is on the podcast. Yeah, very cool. There's nothing out here um, about this album that's like, really easy to get a hold of I'm sure Brent you've found some stuff but Sam on the show is really cool because we we're, we're hearing not just about this record but also about like Sam joining the band and also some great stuff about what he did after the band which I gotta say man you sounded like a bit of a fanboy there for oh, a second I
1: am, I am big yeah. time yep
0: yeah so that was that was pretty cool so everyone stick with us for that Sam's a great dude. Yeah, for sure. Ryan, what do you have for spiels this week? All right. I've got three micro spiels. One's a recommend, and uh, one's actually a band that you tipped me uh, on to. Um, but I first want to tell you a quick story about this record store that I was at this weekend. Okay. I think last time I told you about when I was in a record store, just listening to record store <laughs> geeks someone was going uh, someone was talking about what their go-to goblin record was do yeah, you recall that I do yeah so I was in this record store I, I I was allowed to go record shopping for an afternoon when I was in this other town so uh, I went I got down on my knees got dusty I was had my head right into the bins under the shelves and um the record store clerks had another great quote that I thought I would spiel for you because um, I laughed. I laughed about it to myself, but again, just like the go-to goblin spiel from last time, I'm like, I totally sound like that sometimes. <laughs> I totally. Anyways, so here here's the scene. I'm down. I'm on my knees, flipping through the bins, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, the record that they're playing is done and then they put on another record. Uh, one of the clerks like the the clerks are kind of like putting on records for each other, I right. guess. Right. And and uh, this he drops the needle on this record the one clerk and then for the other clerk he's like "Oh, I oh, I need that one right now." Oh. <laughs> and and I was I was like I mean, he's he's probably saying it so, uh, so everyone on the store can hear it so that everyone knows that like a serious, like a really heavy piece of wax just got slapped down. Right. But like, but at the same time, I was kind of like, dude, there are some times where I, I'll listen to a song or a record and I totally needed that right now. Oh yeah. So, so uh it was, it was good. And guess what it was. Guess, guess what record it was. Hmm. You got to give me a clue. There's no way you would guess just just from scratch. It was um, a soul funk soundtrack. How about that?
1: Oh, like uh, Shaft or something?
0: No, better than that, man.
1: What's better than Shaft?
0: Superfly. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Chris yeah. Mayfield?
0: Yeah. They were just losing their shit. Or, and I got to admit, I was totally digging it, too. So, anyways... That's my record store spiel. Sometimes you just got to
1: hear that jam, man.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Hey, we should mention this band. Before I go into my next spiel, we should mention this one band, though. uh, You lent me this CD by this band. One of our listeners um, sent to us organs.
1: I've been digging this lately. Yeah, I didn't lend it to you. It's yours. He sent us two copies. What? Nice. Okay. Yeah, it's this guy, Ian from this Irish band called Organs. He described it as a 73-minute psychedelic sludge punk freeform track. It's one track. Yeah. It's funny you brought up that Go To Goblin thing. He he, he mentions that in the note that he sent. Does he have a Go To Goblin album? No, they're just... He's just talking about all the, you know, the influences and Goblin. And then he puts Go To Goblin in brackets. (laughs) and we probably need that we probably need to hashtag that or something yeah well
0: hey i mean it is a long improv jam but i've spun it a few times and i dig it it's cool and uh, i don't know if you looked at the liner notes it's like a little photocopy folded up piece of paper thing it says um first take no overdubs no rehearsals a three-way tie for last between Marginal Records, Lugnut and Little
1: Plastic Tapes. Yeah, the band's called Organs. Um, two drum kits, two freestanding percussionists, three guitars, a bass and a Moog synth. And there's an SST connection, Ryan. One of the dr- two drummers, Andrew Bushy, is in a band called Estel. Do you know them? Estel? Yeah. I don't... I don't really know too much about them, but they have a CD that's a collaboration with Mike Watt and Steve McKay from the Stooges.
0: Oh, no way.
1: Yeah. And Watt's in it? Yeah. Oh, no way. I think he plays on another Estel album as well. Oh, yep. Cool. I'll check that out. Nice yeah. one. Uh,
0: well, let me hit you with uh, my last spiel. It's it's a bit of a recommend for you. Okay. Have you ever heard of a band called One Spot Fringe Head? Never. So one spot fringe uh, they put out one album a long time ago on CD, kind of a an early '90s thing. It's on Merkin Records. They're a uh, a Baltimore, Maryland band, and they were in the '90s. They kind they would fit in with like Jawbox, um, kind of kind of that era of DC sound. Okay. Uh, I was looking them up on the internet and there's a couple of articles, one of them compares them to Lungfish as well another Discord band mm-hmm. and uh, and that's a fair comparison too and I, I love me some Jawbox, love me some Lungfish and um, it's kind of like that band Giant's Chair that I mentioned right. late last year in the sense that this is a band from the 90s that you know kind of came and went not i I think probably more people know about giant's chair than one spot fringehead anyways one spot fringehead changed their name just to one spot and they released an ep in 2016 and they've also late last year and i totally missed this as part of our our 2019 uh, lists spiel they put out a, uh, a record, well, it's basically like a CDR, I guess you can get from their Bandcamp page called The Difference Between. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like One Spot Fringehead, I picked up the CD, I don't know why, probably 10, 15 years ago. And uh, I was reminded of it and been rocking out to it um, as I was driving over the weekend. And uh, I picked up The Difference Between. And Dave Ort from the band, right after I ordered it, sent me a note. He's like, hey, thanks, Ryan. CD's in the mail. So right. it's cool. People are still rocking out and putting some good tunes. One Spot Fringehead. And you, there's some singles and split singles that One Spot put out. But um, a new CD on uh, Bandcamp. Oh, and speaking of DC, we should also mention too, like I'm sure everyone who cares has already seen this. But, you know, I've got a bit of a thing for dc and discord but there's a new uh uh discord band koraki yeah that is um that's going to be awesome yep with uh, ian Mackay and joe and amy and uh people should check that out when it comes out everyone should uh just dial up the discord page and
1: pre-order that and fill some holes in your discord selections yeah the the one track they've released is awesome no doubt. Great to hear Ian belting it out like that. Yeah. Okay. I've got a few SST related tidbits here. Did you see, Ryan, that Kevin Smith's Netflix animated series? By the Power of gray Skull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see who's voicing uh, Triclops? Isn't it Henry? Yeah, it's Henry. Yeah. Cool. Hey. Eh? Yeah. Mark Hamill is Skeletor. That'll be good. Yeah. Okay. Here's something our friend Michael T. Fournier sent me. Uh, this guy, Kurt Morris, who's a writer for Razor Cake, has written a book-length discussion on the Black Flag album, My War. And you can get it at kurtmorris.net. No way. Yeah. I ordered two copies.
0: Who's the second one for?
1: You. Yes. Okay. We've kept our, our, kept our friendship intact for one more week. That's why I did it. Yeah, okay, good job. Napalm Death has a new single. Uh, there's a full length coming later this year. The A side is called Logic Ravaged by Brute Force. It's a pretty cool departure. It sounds like Napalm Death, but there's def- definitely a killing joke vibe to it. But the B side, Ryan, is a cover of Sonic Youth's White Cross, which is a deep cut off of SST 134 Sister, which we'll be getting to in about 20 episodes. Napalm Death, hey. Yep. What kind of metal is that? Speed metal? Oh, what? Eh, death metal, grindcore.
0: Grindcore. I yeah. think it's grindcore. The my like the the kids that I was in high school with that liked Napalm. Yep. They like Napalm
1: and Bolt Thrower, stuff yes. like that, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right, uh Here's your weekly Red Hot Chili Peppers update. I'm on the album. By the way, I know what what you're gonna say. Just keep going, and I'm going to. But this one, I just <laughs> could not get into. This was no. the, this was the worst for me. Uh, a few songs just like sounded like ABBA or something. Like I'm looking for fight like a brave or skinny S- skinny sweaty man in a green suit or something like that. Oh man, not gonna get it. You're gonna be disappointed until. <laughs> Yeah, you know what you
0: should do? You should just go back and listen to those records instead of tormenting me every week. <laughs> well, I'm gonna keep going. Do it, man. Do it. Okay. At, at least, at least, at least, do Stadium Arcadium and the two Josh records and tell me I'm wrong. Then well, I'm at do, least I'm
1: doing them all. All of those, and, and I'm also doing that beside you or whatever beside yourself. Oh, nice. That one's good. Okay, one more thing, Ryan. It's a new segment I'm starting. It's called the Podcast Shout Out. Okay. Yeah. It's just a segment where I'm going to throw out a podcast that I like. This one's called Paisley Stages Raspberry Rhyme. It's Soraya and Jeff, and they talk to bands from the Paisley Underground movement. And they've had on some cool SST folks like Dave Nolte and Joel Nolte of The Last, Oh, yeah. Um, Vitas Matare is on. And uh, also lots of the people that we've talked about, uh, Steve Wynn, Annette Zelinskis who we're going to be talking about in a few weeks when we get to Blood on the Saddle. It's a great podcast. Everyone should check it out. That's it. That's this week's podcast. Shout out.
0: <laughs> do you have to say it with that stereotypical <laughs> Canadian accent? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, I disagree. Everyone is going to start, well... Not start, continue to call us hosers as a result. <laughs> but I I know you
1: embrace the hoser reference. I don't mind it. I don't mind it when people say we call us Bob and Doug. <laughs> 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 Terry, I, you know, Terry and Deaner would be cooler or something. That would be way cooler, man. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if but that's, that's a deep
0: Canadian cut right there. Yeah. For our American listeners, you're welcome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to get into this Leaving Trains record? I sure do. Let's do it. History lesson, part one.
1: So how do you want to do this, Brant? Should, uh, should we go to Sam? Should we tell people where we've been, where we're going? I'm going to bring you up to speed, and then we're going to kick it over to Sam. That's how we're going to nice. do it. Okay, nice. so we last heard from the Leaving Trains on SST 071 kill Tune. so it's been a while. On that album, we had Jason Kahn on drums, Manfred and Tom Hofer on guitar and bass, respectively, Falling James Moreland, of course, on guitar and vocals, and Eric Stringer sang Backups on that album. This is just speculation, but I've kind of pieced this together. So the Hofer brothers leave the band, Eric Stringer comes in on bass, and this guy, Mike Barnett, comes in on lead guitar. There is one recording of this lineup with Jason Kahn on drums doing The Saints' Demolition Girl on a Saints tribute album called Neurotically Yours. And also on that compilation, there's Trotsky Icepick doing I'm Stranded uh, and this band Two Lane Blacktop, uh, which is Jack Watterson of Green on Red. That's his project. And it featured Tom Watson of Slovenly on lead guitar. Oh, nice. And... Jack Watterson was recently on that uh, podcast I just made, mentioned, Paisley Stage and Raspberry Rhyme. And he mentions this band too, Tulane Blacktop. Cool. Hey, what was the, uh, do you remember the ballot result off of Kill Tunes? Probably She's Looking at You. Yeah, man. Yep.
0: I was rocking out to that this week,
1: yeah. again. Okay, so anyways, they go on tour, this lineup, Eric on bass, Mike Barnett on lead guitar, James Moreland, Jason Kahn on drums three shows into the tour for kill tunes in washington washington dc there's a big blowout on stage Jason Kahn mentions this in our inter- interview with him on episode 109 so what I have here ryan is the i have the press kit for uh the leaving trains fuck album now the thing about these sst press kits is they're mostly reviews of the previous album. So there's lots of reviews of the album Kill Tunes in here, but there's a, there's a little bit of a article here from the Providence Sunday journal dated January 25th, 1987. And so this would have been right when they got back, Jason Kahn and Mike Barnett quit the band on that date. And they kind of limped back to LA with help from some friends, including Jack Rabbit, who, uh, is most well-known for the zine The Big Takeover, which is uh, still going strong today. So here's, uh, here's a quote from James, Falling James. Only one person's actually been fired from this band. The other 29 quit on their own volition. <laughs> 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 that number, he assured, is completely literal. Falling James admits he hasn't he isn't the easiest band leader to get along with. Our band is sort of like the Hindenburg. There's a lot of hot air in it. It'll make you sore sometimes, but it can also blow up in your face. The biggest explosion came last summer during the Leaving Train's first national tour, shortly after they had debuted in Providence to a meager audience. During a show in Washington, D.C., James said he was cracking jokes instead of playing the song straight, and the guitar player and the drummer thought we were too sloppy. To protest that, they walked off stage. A scuffle ensued, and the drummer tried to strangle me. He had to be pulled away by bouncers. That's when music becomes too serious. What we found out was the guy didn't have a sense of humor. Falling James and bassist Eric Stringer limped through the rest of the tour with fill-in drummers, then recruited two new members back in Los Angeles. Aside from Falling James, nobody in the Leaving Trains who will return to Providence Tuesday night played on Kill Tunes. And then the little tag at the end of this article was, was interesting, Ryan. The Leaving Trains and Doss Dahmen, a hard rock band from New York, play Tuesday night at The Living Room in, in Providence. Admission is $3. Oh my god, that would have been a good show. So that kind of sets the stage for I I think probably the show that Sam Merrick attended uh, that he talks about in this, in this interview. I think it was probably that three-piece lineup. Oh yeah. Eric Stringer, Bruce Gannell and Falling James. Should we kick it over to Sam Merrick? Let's do it. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Sam Merrick. Sam, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Okay, so we're talking about the Leaving Trains album, Fuck. What an interesting album title.
2: Was it a difficult album title? Did it cause you any trouble? Um, You know, I think it was... I I was a little afraid of it, um, you know, just thinking it was too uh confrontational. I, and James is early on said, Fine, give me a better title and none of us came up with anything. <laughs> I think it was a little bit of baiting the um PMRC. Yeah, yeah. The Parents Music Resource Center and, and uh uh and we got a little bit of uh run out of it but not a lot we were a little too small on the map uh you know but i think it was a lot of that going on and that was kind of a reaction it's my idea well nowadays i mean there's bands you know with that word
1: in the name of the band lots of yeah, them and some, yeah some high profile ones too but back then right i don't, I don't think anybody was doing anything like that
2: no, I, I remember uh, SST had uh, a campaign. I'm not sure they knew exactly how to go about it. So they had this campaign where uh, challenging record stores to come up with a window display and the winning window display would get a special VIP visit from us while we were out on the road. Right. So I think they, they even thought, we don't know. Let's see what someone else can come up with. Right, yeah, I've seen
1: that. It's um, it's an like a contest where... You know, yes, you can win right. a all-expenses-paid trip out to see the band or something like that. Is that yeah, why that, they did it? it?
2: Yeah, well, they never said, but I have a feeling <laughs> that was part of the, uh, the idea. Like we can promote it uh, this way, just by... it's a
1: contest. Right, yeah, we've never seen that, I don't think, with any other SST band, that contest. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you know if somebody won? Do you remember,
2: like, meeting a winner or anything like that? I think... We did meet winners, and they didn't get a, a trip out to Los Angeles either. They declined, or but I, I think they were like VIPs at a show, and maybe right. the DC area or something. Oh yeah, okay. So how did you come to be in the band? Like,
1: this is a an interesting album. I think the lineup kind of stabilized for a few re- releases after this one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it the the lineup for the Leaving Trains prior to this was really uh, in. Constant flux, it seems like. Was James the only guy when you joined the band?
2: Yeah, um Eric Stringer was our bass player, and he was he was credited with backing vocals on Kill Tunes. Yeah. But it was just uh James and Eric, and um and I was just really lucky. I I moved from Idaho down to Los Angeles to check out the underground music scene. And had really liked the first two Leaving Trains records. I went and saw them uh, one night, and uh, and it was a really wild show. Uh, and uh, there wasn't a lot of structure to it. And I, I just said, hey, my name's Sam. You guys want another guitar player? And James was like, yeah. <laughs> and I, w- I mean, I was just a, just a pup. I didn't know. I had very little to add to the Leaving Trains. And I had so much to learn from them. And I was just really lucky that... Uh, for that weird night at Raji's, um, that's where it was. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You wrote on this album. So were you writing music like back in Idaho or?
2: Yes, but I wasn't performing, uh, much. And that's, that's what struck me when I listened to the the record uh, last night, there's like five songs that I have a part in. And that was very generous of, uh, of James to allow that much. I think a lot of it is kind of half baked. There was some of them were playing on the road before we recorded, but there's another couple that I think we had never really played before we got in the studio. And I, I just, uh, it was uh, generous of them. I, I, I wish I had been better, uh, in better shape to, to lead songs, but whatever. So you did, You (laughs) you did play some shows. With
1: the band uh, before recording,
2: yeah. Um, I, so I I went up and talked to James. <laughs> I bet it was December or so uh, at that Raji show, and then I wound up uh, going on tour with them, um, uh, the Fuck the World tour. This right. is before the record and uh, kicked off, as I remember, in January. So we had uh, the drummer Bruce Gannell and Eric, uh, stringer on bass, and James and myself. So we toured a lot. Geez, I think we were out for 10 weeks or something. Wow. And we came back, and I think it was that summer then when we recorded the record. So a lot of these songs were um, mainstays of our, uh, of our set on that tour. So you were ready
1: to go once you got to the studio then? You were a well oiled yeah. machine. It, yeah, yeah, for most of the songs, yeah. And it was recorded spring 1987 at Lyceum Sound. That's Vitas Matare's studio.
2: Uh Yes yeah okay so yeah i guess uh uh, okay so it was if we were like january february march uh on the road yeah we must have gone right into the studio Vetus had just by my memory just finished uh building the studio he owned a house which was crazy uh and he turned the garage into a studio and he had uh i think we were one of the first projects in there um but he built the studio how he wanted it and uh and it was really cool. Again, me, no studio experience or anything. So I just didn't know what was going on and, uh, you know, did the best I could. So when you moved out, you were like, you moved out to play in a rock
1: band. That was, that was the yeah. goal. It,
2: college. Yeah, yeah. College was, was uh, not making that much sense to me. Uh, and so so, and I had a friend who went down to the, uh, to Los Angeles. So I had okay. a uh, landing spot I said, thought it was take like six months off of school. And, uh, and uh, it turned into about ten years, and playing a lot of music, and um, I had a lot of success. I ultimately had a little more failure, but uh, but uh, it just seemed like one thing was happening after another. It was a really exciting ten years of my life. You were a rock and roll guy, were, or were you, was there like a punk scene in Idaho? Yeah, there was. I think it. I think maybe. It was it was kind of hard uh, uh, being a punker. So there was new wave and punk was was sort of, but there wasn't any original music. It was all cover bands and yeah. stuff. So if you wanted to make original music, you just about had to leave Boise at that time. Yeah, were you playing in cover bands? Uh, a very little bit. I, I, I did a lot of jamming, uh, friends and family and stuff, but uh, um, not not a lot of cover band stuff. So you're just Greener than goose shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> on, yes. on
1: tour with the Leaving Trains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm guessing this was not, you know, you weren't staying at uh, high end motels when you were on tour with the Leaving Trains.
2: Not often. No, uh, I would say maybe fifty percent of the time we'd get a, a, a roof over our head, and uh, probably. Ten percent of that was in a hotel. Is usually we uh, after the show meet someone and and there's five of us. There's a tour manager and the four musicians and we all had our jobs. And as soon as like, hey, I met someone, they say we can come over and sleep at their house. And yeah, then you start <laughs> passing out phone numbers. You know, in the '80s, it was so hard to yeah keep people together. You know, you took to it though. You liked touring. Loved it. Yeah. It was the leaving trains we just had it was everything good about uh about music and traveling, and you know everything all my favorite music years were with the leaving trains. I eventually gotten bands that had uh, bigger contracts and stuff, but uh, it really sort of took the fun out of it when, you know, but the Leaving Trains, we were just doing it for fun. We really couldn't pay our rent from it, um, but we were all working together. We had a really tight bond and, a, and just a great group of people to have adventures with.
1: Any big shows? Any notable shows? Can you think of any of the other bands you played with?
2: Oh, man. You would think that I could remember some. You know, around Los Angeles in my era, we were a, a, a frequent one-two with Fire Hose. Yeah and that was always good let me just see you know i saw this one picture we were um we were in dallas playing with pop defect oh yeah and uh and we were having a barbecue on top of the venue with them what about uh some of the tracks on this album do you
1: you did lead vocals on one of them
2: yes i listened to that last night and i remember again being so green I think I had to be so drunk to sing that I I couldn't really enunciate and I remember singing I hadn't even thought about this. I remember singing in sort of the beer creeping its way up to my molars sort of deal. It's like, okay, I don't think I'm going to puke, but you know, that's how like I, again, I wish I'd uh, but you know, I, I would I did. By the time we made our rec- next leaving trains, I'm I'm really proud of all that work. It was just a matter of I was a kid at 22 and you know, just didn't have that much my belt and you wrote one that Bruce sang as well yes that one I suspect we never played on tour I bet we learned that out in the parking lot and sort of just whipped it out it's one of them I think um that one is can't stop thinking and that one along with like 27 days and maybe even disasters they're just so fast. I don't know what the... I think I'm trying to prove how punk I was or something, you know? You just can't get the syllables in there, no matter how they tried, so... Do you recall making the video
1: for Temporal Slut? Yes. Do you Do you know who made the video?
2: No. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. Oh, yeah, I've got some videos of that stuff, too. Bruce, the drummer, had a, uh, a uh, girlfriend in the industry and i think she or friends close to her did it okay do you know where the live footage is from that's in the video i i I do i'll i'll never remember i think we were playing in a uh, homeless camp Uh, why (laughs) i don't i don't know i think they were you know it seems so um uh, so forward for the mid '80s, but I think they were trying to bring a name and a face to the, you know, this empty lot where these homeless people had just set up little, um, you know, shelters and stuff. I think they were just trying to bring awareness. And and someone booked a a, a festival there or something, and, okay. and that's where it shot it. Do you know if it ever got played? On like empty. The video. Yeah. I. I think it did not. And I think back then MTV was so, uh, small. Uh, I think we got a, uh, a response from him and they didn't like, there's a scene when the camera goes into a dumpster and looks at the toilet seat. And they said that that was too vulgar <laughs> to be shown on MTV. <laughs> Do you know if the
1: single was getting like college radio play?
2: I think it, I think it was
1: doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, what about like the general sound of the album? Like I I hear almost like a '60s vibe in a lot of these songs. Is that
2: kind of the direction the band was going in, or was it just like these are the songs we have? And Sam Merrick was definitely these are the songs we have because yeah. I just didn't know anything about anything. We had a lot of reason to put our trust in Vetus. Another just first impression I had was that there's a lot of hi hat. It's like we were almost like breaking new ground in the hi-hat first sound. <laughs> the temporal slap comes in, and you can just hear the drummer. He's got his hi-hat open, just, you know. And, and, and once I heard it, that took me back. And I remember we found out way too late in the mixing process that that, that uh, hi-hat had gotten on every microphone in the studio, oh, and yeah. we couldn't pull it down anymore you can tell which um songs were done in that session because that hi-hat comes up uh, comes up in every one of them and i think in different sessions it was a little more uh under control maybe we talked about something so to me it, it it uh maybe that's that 60s sound you're talking about where it just it wasn't great high fidelity um it was sort of washed out with um that white noise of of the uh of the hi-hat which is is a shame it's also a great you know comment on on the tricky art of recording for sure
1: yeah everyone we've talked to though says vetus was just the sweetest guy ever to work with in a studio and i we've yet to talk to anybody who's had anything bad
2: to say about vetus that's for sure and you can add me to that list yeah. totally cool guy he he um he took interest in me again i was so lucky to be involved with leaving trains he took interest in me and he got me this great 50s les paul And he also uh, um, uh, found this really cool old uh, uh, late 60s high-watt half-stack amp and said, you need this, go buy it. And I just, on his word, said, okay, I'll go get it. And it was a fantastic amp. He he was a really great guy. Do
1: you know uh, who Frenchie is? He plays harmonica on the record.
2: Yes, Pat French. Okay. And he was was a, a bit of a... LA punk scene harmonica hipster he would get the call up to play with um i think i think he would play with X and uh and we were pretty lucky to get he was uh, have harmonica will 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 play on anything and uh um and he would uh he he came out and played on that one song awesome and you do a cover of
1: an Iggy Pop song but not the one You'd think. You'd think it would be a Stooges song or something, but you do a track off Zombie Birdhouse, which is actually really cool.
2: Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised when I listened to that. Um, that was James's idea. We can talk about uh, that at a, a different point, how uh, fond of James I am. But um, uh, I really... Uh, was refreshed last night listening to it like that was a great approach to the song we almost made it like a disco rock song I like the 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 hand clap the artificial drum sound in there and that weird uh sort of synthesizer thing that runs throughout it um I thought that was actually pretty good for us (laughs) yeah it's great tell me about James I mean
1: hate to say this but I get the impression that some of the some members previously maybe had some some conflict with James doesn't sound like you did.
2: Um, well, I did have conflict with James. Um, I think though, this is amazing. I think I was the thirty-second leaving train. Are you <laughs> really <laughs>
1: by this point yeah. already?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's weird. third record. They're on uh, their thirtieth musician, and uh, uh, they they told me that. You know, he was he put us in some pretty weird situations. There was he just had this rage inside of him sometimes that uh that would just come out and i remember like playing in maybe in austin maybe in dallas and we just we just he'd put us into a slow cha 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 and he'd just start yelling about uh racism and the civil war and how the south needs to apologize and and it's just like these guys are gonna kill us you know And and he would do things like that and i gotta say it's um i was also turned on by the um uh, not knowing what's going to happen. You right. never knew what you were going to get. There's this brilliance there, and there's belligerence at the same time. And it, it was really a fun dynamic for me. We're punks, you know, so right. we can kind of get away with that. Before I finally left the band, he'd kicked me out of the band uh, two times. And one of them, he, we were playing in San Diego, and he just, I was minding my own business. And he was doing a speech. He looked up, and he was running over, and he just punched me in the face on stage. Wow. You know, So I got up and walked off and, you know, we just drove home from San Diego and, um, and I don't know where that, you know, rage came from because we're close, but I, I love the guy like a brother. And I, I often say everything I know about being in a band and, uh, and being in a rock and roll band, I've learned from James Moreland. I just really hold him in a really high spot, but, um, but he he, uh, he has gone through a lot of bandmates, and there was just a time where it became obvious that it was it was done for us, mm. you know. And and I, I uh, love him to this day, and and hope to see him soon. Well, it seems like you stayed in the band
1: longer than a lot of people did. You're on how many more records? At least the next two, I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, oh, I I call it two and a half al- albums totally. Um, Transportational devices. And then Sleeping Underwater Survivors, I was on half. Okay. And I this isn't really about your SST stuff, but then uh then when I finally got kicked out or left or whatever, I joined a band called the Nymphs, and the Nymphs guitar player took my place in the leaving trains. Ah, so we okay. switched <laughs> switched guitar players. Well, since you brought it up, I was gonna ask about
1: the nymphs because I love the album and there is an SST connection. Keith Morris managed the nymphs for a while. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about the nymphs. How did so was that band going when you joined, or did you get on the ground? Like, were you part of forming the
2: band? I, I the band formed in New Jersey without me, and uh, but they were we were friends with them. We were bands that would share bills a lot, and uh, and they were really intriguing to me. And their first demos were just great, and and we partied a lot together, and uh, and uh, then when we did that switch. Yeah, another just great piece of fortune I had is we. Did, that's when we took off. We went from being on the bottom of the bill when I joined to probably five or six months later, we had this bidding war from record labels, and we'd just gone from you know bottom of the bill to a sudden we pull up and there's a line around the building and it's for us headlining. And uh, wow. so so I, I was I didn't <laughs> again I didn't have to put in any of the hard. Uh, uh hard work uh into um bringing that band to its to to presentable i really got in at a great time
1: although you may have swapped out one uh what's a word i can use temperamental
2: yeah. front, front person for another maybe is that yeah. fair <laughs> and it, that is that is very generous of you yeah 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 inger uh who i i uh I also love a lot of people in our circle and stuff have just, um, uh, extra out of their lives and won't, won't correspond or anything, but I still do. I'm, I'm pretty careful. I keep it, keep it cheery and, and stuff. She's still got some axes to grind with, with some people. But again, I, 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 enjoyed, uh, uh, anger though, uh, though she was a lot more mysterious than James, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and... So was Keith around when you were around? In the band. Oh, let, let me let me back up. Uh, the original guitar player uh, in uh, the Nymphs, besides Bobby Belltower, was Manfred. Oh, okay. Manfred. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of crossover there. No kidding. And uh, and uh, yeah yeah, Keith was around, and Keith was managing uh, two bands. One was the Hangman, and one was the Nymphs. And the uh, Hangman uh, was led by a guy from Boise. And remember when I said I had a, a place to stay? Oh, was it in Brian? Los yeah yeah oh, wow. right i did that's awesome we're huge hangman fan we've talked about them many times oh. on the podcast so oh cool yeah. yeah 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 and and he was he was like a cover band expert up here but i was going to college and and not really selling out for that um so then uh keith was another great friend we, we had a i had a roommate who had a junkie boyfriend who stole all my records one time and uh um, and Keith would go meticulously and, and was, I, I just see him and he'd give me five more records that he remembers from my record collection <laughs> that he would get from these used record stores. And when we were, uh, recording, uh, transportational devices, uh, I don't, I must not have had a working car, but Keith was on the road. So he just gave me his car to use, you know, in Los Angeles, you, you got a lot of problems with parking tickets and stuff. So it's right. just easier to get your car to, a. Uh, to some guy so we were recording up in Thousand Oaks in the LA area and I was had Keith's car to drive around and every once in a while people would recognize the car and they'd lean out their window and, ah, Keith, and you know sort of see me and you know but I'd, I'd, I'd take it anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about after the nymphs what happened next did you stay uh, in music I- I scrammed back to Idaho um my parents said if you want to finish that, that uh that college education we'll pay for it and I really felt like with the nymphs um if you can't make it from what we were set up with and we we, we had we had the emotional problems you know with our leader yeah. uh it, it, I'll say this about Inger too you just couldn't take your eyes off her she had that it whatever that is I mean, she, she was the real deal um but I figured, my God, we had this, we were so popular, we got a big record deal, we had everything going for us, and it still didn't work. I, it just sort of came to a crisis of, of do I want to keep following the music, or do I want stability? And I was by then, you know, uh, pushing 30, it's like, no, nah, I want to know where I'm going to live, you know, sure. so. That's fair. Are you playing music just recreationally still? Yes, yeah, my wife and I um who was also a good friend of Brian Small and uh and Keith uh and Falling James, uh she's a Boise girl. She moved down and was my roommate uh right after Brian uh moved out. Um uh so we got married uh 10 or 11 years ago and we're both musicians. She was a uh, very very well uh experienced and made some records too. She went to the Manchester, England. Oh uh, yeah right out of the apartment we shared and she was going to go for a year or two but she sort of got stuck for 17 or 18 when she finally came back to boise it's like oh my god we were best friends in the most formative times of our lives and we had this great connection so um we don't golf we don't travel we don't really camp we we are we're musicians we rock <laughs> yeah we rock <laughs> where can people find that if they want to check that out what's the project called it's called aka bell uh also known as Bell B E L L E and uh it refers to uh a nickname her father had for her um and yeah we make records We're, we've we've uh put out three records there's a few videos uh you can find on YouTube um war on love and uh and uh wonders of the world and uh a couple others i i think too but we like doing it and uh and it's what we want to do be good at. I'm I'm an accountant. I work for the state, and I'm I, I tell people I'm a, a, a second rate musician and a third rate accountant. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right on. Anything you want to say to the Leaving Trains fans out there before I let you go, Sam? There's a lot of them. They don't hear from Leaving Trains members too often.
2: I just think the Leaving Trains were a really great band, and uh, we're never boring, no matter what. When we we're on our game. Uh, Even if we were off our game, it was still a blast in the face, uh, you know, and uh, all driven by all the right reasons when we were doing it. it It's a great time in my life, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan and supporter myself. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It was great chatting. Anytime, Brant. It's a cool project.
1: All right. I told you. Great interview. Great guy. Yeah, he's Awesome interesting thing about this uh this press kit that he sent me for for the album fuck the cover of it i don't know if this was like maybe going to be the cover or something but this piece of artwork which we'll post right here of a guy kind of ripping his face off with all these i don't know what they are crazy little creatures all around it it was drawn by Inger Lore from the Nymphs oh no way yeah and also uh everybody should check out that uh his new project with his wife catherine a k a bell They have some really cool videos. The one that I really liked is called um war on love okay yeah he's i just... I, I haven't had a chance to check that out, but yeah. it's next on my list. You can watch Sam just tearing it up on lead guitar cool here's a few uh yeah. other things I picked out of this this press kit well, I'll read you the like the opening page here which I assume was written by Michael Whitaker. Rest in peace. Yes. Uh, four random letters, four innocent young men, and 14 songs about disasters, violent sex, New York space shuttle explosions, sleep, piers, deserts, politics, and sexual confusion. It can only add up to one thing, the third album by The Leaving Trains. It kind of just gives the history of the band, talks about the Fuck the World tour that they're going to go on after this comes out. It talks about their two national tours they did previous to this, 1986's Kick the Bucket Tour and 1987's Let's All Climb Into a Big Van and Look for America Tour. (laughs) While critics, Yeah, while critics have described their music as a blur of punk, blues, garage, pop, and psychedelia, the band prefers to label its rock and roll as confrontational. Yeah, well, definitely
0: Falling James is confrontational. What about... Sam's spiel about how Falling James was calling out people in the South, hey, yeah, on from the stage,
1: yeah. Well, sounds sounds, like Falling James was pretty woke, I guess, hey. Well, sounds like stuff like that happened a lot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Here's a review that's like a little snippet that's in this press kit uh, from uh, a magazine called Pulse Beat. The leaving trains exploded on the night before. Their debut and new music seminar showcase, an onstage fist fight between members, and the band split in half. This must be the the thing that we already talked about, I think the missing guitarist wasn't replaced at all, and he damn well wasn't missed. Uh, <laughs> the missing drummer was replaced by jack Jack Rabbit plonked into gone's drum set, so they must have been playing with gone yeah. Instead, James Morland turned up his amp to crush and blasted out a huge angry noise that'd almost make you wish hardships on the guy just to keep him so tightly wound. Bouncing off the walls, flailing about the stage, attacking his guitar, and belting out lyrics like bullets at a lynch mob. Sloppy, clamorous, acidic, absolutely amazing. Here's a little thing in here from Thrasher magazine. A brief description, here goes. The Minutemen and Rank and File meet REM on acid. Then the Circle Jerks crash the party. Too twisted? Mm. Use your own ears. Here's another one. This is from BAM Magazine. Imagine X without Xene, or a very sloppy and belligerent hoodoo gurus, or a drunken television fronted by Nicky Sutton. This guy Bill Foreman says, if they'd come from London instead of LA, leaving trains would no doubt be more famous than the Jesus and Mary chain right now. I thought this was interesting. This is from uh, the Florida Flambeau. Looks like a daily newspaper. January 13th, 1987. And it's got a cool picture of the three-piece lineup before Sam joined. Uh, The Leaving Trains aren't known for their silky smooth way with a tune. Rather, they're a sloppy, grungy garage band that believes in rock and roll. It says here they took their name from a Credence Clearwater revival lyric i don't know if we knew that before yeah i don't recall that um, and the tag line on, line on this one mentions a band called squid row you ever heard of squid row <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i great... love the name though i know hey? I, hope it, I hope it's real i hope so have to do some research on squid row if any listeners know anything about that band hit us up i need to know yeah Apparently, the uh, the CCR song yep. that that's from is Wish I
0: Could Hide Away. Oh, a deep cut. Hold on, give yourself a chance.
1: I can hear the leaving train. Okay. It says in these articles, and just about all of them, it mentions that Falling James got his nickname from falling down a staircase. Yeah. I don't think we've mentioned that before either. We didn't
0: last time. I think we just kind of knew it, but we didn't mention it. That band Squid Row, is it spelled R-O-E
1: or R-O-W? I think it's R-O-W. Okay. (laughs) You (laughs) kind of want to know, hey? Oh, so bad. (laughs) If they're a real band, I can almost guarantee you they're better than Skid Row. It would be great if they were
0: like, you know, Remember you mentioned that one bad Mac Sabbath, where it's like <laughs> McDonald's, but they do Black Sabbath? Yeah. What if it was, you
1: know, like cephalopods doing bad hair metal? Yeah, I don't think Skid Row was a known entity by this point.
0: Okay, dang it.
1: So, another theory shot to shit. There is,
0: uh, I don't know if this is the band, I doubt it, but there is. there are a couple of Squid
1: Rows on Discogs. Hmm. It's a great name. Yeah. Do you want to go to the tracks? Yes. History
0: Lesson, part two. Different record than uh, the last one, for sure, where we've got the first side just crammed full of tracks, and then uh, a very different way to end the record. Yeah,
1: so I'm, in, I'm interested to go through these. It didn't grab me quite the way Killtoons did right off the bat, but I it really grew on me, this one.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's some tracks on here too where this is like the better version of the
1: song too. They re-recorded it later on. Uh, this was released on CD, LP, and cassette, by the way. Okay, track one, Temporal Slut, written by James Moreland. This is the A-side of the promo single. There's also a video for this that we talk about in the interview. Great rocker to open the album. Sounds like the New York Dolls or the Saints, which is a band that comes up in all of these reviews, the Saints. They also cover the Saints on Kill Tunes. They do a, the, the Saints track, Private Affair. You can definitely hear a Saints uh, influence, though. Yeah, I picked up the Saints... The dolls and even the stones on this record. Yeah. Here's from one of the reviews. I pulled out some some little uh, clips from some of the reviews. A manic, driving, saints-derived rocker that introduces a rather desperate individual who has buckets full of time and is doing his best to drink it away. In fact, most of the Train's lyrics deal with people that are having difficulty coping with life, failed relationships, sexual roles, loneliness... Or time itself. This is a good song. Good opener. Yep. I had the you said rocker, I had that written down too in my notes. Yeah. What a rocker. Yep. <laughs> okay, the second track, How Can I Explode? Also written by James. Great intro for this song. I love I love how it kicked it off. Yeah. This one has the lyric in, in it, Am I a Boy or Or Am I a Girl? There's no place for me in this world maybe expressing a little bit of gender confusion. Uh, it also mentions that they're waiting for Tom Waits to finish the sequel or something like that in the lyrics. Yeah. Some great Thunders licks from Sam.
0: He's a great player for being so young and just joining the band. Oh, yeah. He, definitely,
1: he was definitely woodshedding for a while, though. Yeah. Uh, track three, What Sissy Said, written by James. I love the like the clean guitar in this one, in the one channel. At almost four minutes, this is the longest song. Next to "What the President Meant to Say," uh, here's a little thing from one of the reviews. Set in a dead end world of shooting galleries and shot down galaxies. Yeah, I love the way this song kicks in too. The first three tracks just kill it for me. Yeah,
0: same. And this is one of those ones I mentioned. Like they they re recorded this one later on. It doesn't it it doesn't do it as much as this one does it. And I think it's it's almost just the way that James kicks it in, like with the lyric opening like that. It's awesome, and I agree. The uh, the clean guitar and the picked notes um, add a lot, and I love the bass sound on this too. It's, I don't know if it is, but it sounds like you know my favorite of all time—a P bass with a pick—and uh, it's just the perfect mix on this tune for me. Yeah.
1: Track four: the Horse Song, written by Iggy Pop and Robert dupree robert was in uh, this new york city band called the mumps the whole album this comes off of zombie birdhouse which uh, iggy released in 1982 is just an awesome anomaly in iggy's catalog this is an interesting take on the song i like how they kind of recreate the noisy keyboards of the original with the guitars it's a cool iggy pop album if people out there haven't heard heard it there's also a great live recording from this tour on on a box set called Where The Faces Shine Volume 2. They play almost this entire record on that uh that album. So, definitely worth exploring. Yeah, the keyboards really reminded me on this cut for
0: some reason like early modern lovers, like when Jerry Harrison was in the band. Oh yeah. Those types of uh, distorted I don't know if it's a
1: farfisa or you think there's keyboards on the Leaving Trains version? On this one, yeah, man. I, you can't hear it on the Horse song? I thought it was just guitars.
0: Oh, it's not, maybe maybe it's just my ears playing tricks on me. Now I have to listen
1: to it again. Yeah. I thought there were keys on this. Does it say anything on the LP?
0: Uh, let me see here. No, and of course I don't have an insert. Let me see yeah, here. insert's just lyrics, so. Yeah. Maybe I'm going crazy, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's because I know the Iggy tune, and I was like, oh yeah. Maybe. They were maybe trying to recreate the keyboard sound.
1: That's that's kind of what I gathered, yeah.
0: And that's what I heard, I guess. Interesting.
1: Okay, track five is Disasters. This one has music written by Sam and lyrics written by James. Sam just tearing it up on slide. Uh, Yeah. This one's a bit of a rockabilly blues kind of rumbler. Here's from one of their reviews. Extremely smooth, yet vicious slide guitar work brings disasters to life. This isn't a story of car wrecks or earthquakes, but rather of a man who's mad at the whole damn world and it sounds like he has a legitimate beef. Alright, track six, Walking With You, written by James Moreland. Sam on lead vocals here. Love the sound of the vocal. You can really hear the room in a cool way. We haven't really talked about this, but... I would say Vetus killed it on the recording of this album. I agree with you.
0: Uh, I had that comment as well. The vocals on this record have got a, every track
1: has got a great live sound. Yeah, it does. And uh, this one has a great reprise at the end with like the whistling. This one was a highlight for me. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Here's from one of the, then- here's from one of the reviews. Merrick locked himself into the band with several revved up workouts on the new record he appears to be as world weary as Moreland is what else could compliment Moreland's songs than the alcoholic demeanor of Merrick who on walking with you proclaims (laughs) you can deal with love if that's your idea of fun but I think I'll stick to alcohol and guns ouch (laughs) whoa yep So, okay, I guess
0: maybe my ears were playing tricks with me on the horse song, and now you, now I'm really questioning myself, because you're saying that there's whistling on this track, but I thought there was like uh, background gang vocals almost at one point.
1: Yeah, there is, but, is that, but listen to the end. When it comes back in, there's some whistling.
0: Okay, man, I missed that. Yeah. Jeez Louise, and I listened to it a ton. I guess I'm just not listening to it with headphones on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I listen, again, same as last week. I listened to this all week at work, and then I just sat down and specifically listened to it when I was writing these notes. So that definitely made a difference. Uh, track seven, "Sleep," written by James. This is just a one-minute punk rock tune, basically.
0: Yeah, it it's kind of weird. Like when it comes on, it really stands out because the first six songs have got like a a Stonesy bluesy saints type of vibe to it. And then this one just comes in a little quick double time number. Yeah.
1: And then we close outside one with a track called with Dr. A wall written by James Moreland. This is the B side of the promo single. Uh has yep. got kind of the album's ballad. It's got a little bit of a gun club meets velvet underground. Uh, here's from one of the reviews, a heartfelt intimate and somehow frightening vocal shows a man who is standing on the edge of the pier, waiting to disappear. And it's anyone's guess as to whether or not he resolves his problem and moves on. And from a different review, it says, Moreland puts on his best Lou Reed imitation, coming up with a slow, mournful tune that sounds like an outtake from the Berlin album. Hmm. All right, flip it over, and we're just coming out swinging with a Sam Merrick written track called 27 Days. This one, the main riffs and the structure of the song really remind me of a killer MONOMAN song called Testify. Yeah. Obviously this came out first, but it's very similar, uh, and it's a real rocker. Those verses when it goes down to the toms, like Sam kind of downplayed his, his uh, contributions to this album uh, in the interview, but he and the other players are great. It's like the perfect combination of being tight with some kind of ragged looseness.
0: Yeah, so you know how a moment ago you were just putting me to shame about how you spent the whole week listening and studying and writing all these <laughs> notes and stuff on the record. That's why and, I do it, uh, to shame you. Yeah, so this is this is what I wrote for this song. Okay. I, I wrote the word toms with two lines underneath because I thought those were awesome.
1: Yeah, they were. And, and then I wrote hyphen major riffage. Yeah, well, that's pretty much, you're just recapping what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> you just said it more like efficiently, so good job. Well, maybe less eloquently. How about that? <laughs> All right. Uh, Speaking of less eloquent. Yeah, So Fucked Up is the next track, written by James Moreland. Uh, here's from one of the reviews. This bitter lament stands in ironic counterpart to a melodically beautiful musical setting. For this one, it's got a great solo, some awesome slide from Sam. Definite New York Dolls influence here. Nothing? You don't have the word dolls with two lines written under it for this one?
0: I I just wrote, like, uh, what did I write here? I can't even re- read my writing. Oh, I've, I've got, like, you know, kind of a,
1: a lazy, drunken, slow tune. Okay, track three is another one written by Sam. It's a highlight for me, and I love the title of it. It's called, I Don't Know, or sorry, open parentheses, I Don't Know, close parentheses. I'm doing my best. Reverend Norb here. What? Open parentheses, I'm doing here, close parentheses.
0: Nice. There
1: we go. Yeah. This one has Bruce Gannell on vocals. It has a real 60s feel. Really cool spoken verses and a a great chorus. You can hear someone pinging a beer bottle or something. There's like some partying noises in the background. I'm always a sucker for songs that have that. The title's amazing. Frenchie on harmonica, Patrick French. He was in that band, the D.I.s, we've mentioned before, the Drill Instructors. Oh, Um, yeah. It's members of the Gears. Johnny Ray Bartell of the Red Devils and the Knitters was in the D.I.s. Uh, Ron Emery from TSOL played in them a little a little bit. And I think we probably talked about them on our Divine Horseman episode because Matt Lee of the Divine Horseman was in uh, the D.I.s. And they released a really cool 12-inch EP in 1984, which was produced by Billy Zoom. Track for Violent Sex, written by James. It's only 46 seconds long. It's a bit of a throwaway for me, this one.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's got some cool gang vocals, but... I can I move past it pretty quickly into one of the best tracks on side two.
1: Welcome to New York. Yeah, written by James. Total Dolls Thunder Worship here. Uh, James even sounds like David Johan, Johansson. Here's one of the reviews. It's a tale of some poor unfortunate who's, as he puts it, out of jail, out of money, and out of my mind. And he declares for the benefit of no one in particular that someday I'll buy this town and burn it down. And then we go into the last track, what the president meant to say. You can hear Ronald Reagan throughout it saying, we have not sold any arms to Iran. (laughs) This would have been uh, right when Iran-Contra was just getting going. I'm thinking maybe this this stuff with uh, Ronald Reagan was taken from his appearance before the Tower Commission, which was the committee put together to investigate and he spoke in front of them on December 2nd, 1986. So it would have fit kind of in that time frame. It's nine minutes, 22 seconds long. To be honest, I would have preferred three more songs, uh, but I'm just kind of guessing they didn't have any, which is why we have this. Yeah, I agree. Three more
0: songs like the previous, you know, 12 or so or 13 or so would have been better. I mean, I, I made it through this track a few times just to kind of see what it was, if there was anything else that I would pick out. But I just found myself kind of wanting to flip it over and start side A again. Yeah, same.
1: Let's do the artwork, Ryan. Uh, it gets mentioned here. Well, Sam talks about it in the interview a little bit. It says, why name an album Fuck? It seemed to me that Led Zeppelin 3 was already taken, Moreland said. <laughs> We wanted a one-word title after the last album, called Killtoons. I think almost every band along the way has wanted to name their album that, and we just did it. It makes no sense, yet it says it all. The name has created a few problems for the band. Our record is banned in some places, and some clubs won't let us play. It's stupid the effect that four little letters can have. It's a word almost any little kid knows, and probably knows what it means. And I mean, we talk about this in the interview, but you see this word all over i mean you've got bands like fucked up holy fuck there's a band called fuck they've been around for probably 20 years or more you know yeah do you remember when uh
0: their their manager phoned you for the club you're booking at do you remember that story
1: oh i remember (laughs) i remember you telling me about that how did it go he's english right uh no i don't think he was english (laughs) i don't remember the story though (laughs) Oh, I can't remember it either, uh, but I just remember, hey,
0: you know you know who wants to play at the club? I'm like, oh, this band, fuck. And I'm like, oh, and it's like, yeah, the the manager phoned me up and I've never heard anyone
1: say that word so many times so seriously. They did play. I did book them.
0: Oh, okay. Yep. I don't remember seeing them.
1: Yeah. So here's another cool thing, Ryan. Sam sent me, while well, I was talking about this Inger Lore artwork. Sam also sent me what he described as his summarily dismissed entry for the cover. It's a really cool painting that he did back in the day with the band's logo on it, painted. Uh, It's got the word fuck in these very cool stylized letters. Uh, The U is like, I don't know, it's like a Venus flytrap or something. Uh, We'll post it on our Instagram and Facebook page. Nice. Nice. Sam said, James wanted to ape that 80s Wyndham Hill Records look. And then he he wrote, calm, 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 fuck! (laughs) I think that's kind of the idea, like, you know, with the clouds. Yeah. We should talk about the back cover, though, Ryan, because there are great pics of the band here. Yeah, Uh, stylized as well, too, hey? Yeah, I don't know how they would have done that. This is obviously pre-Photoshop, maybe with pencil crayons or something.
0: That's what it looks like to me. It's almost like they got white, like black and whites, and colored on them, almost. How about
1: Eric Stringer? He looks like... Oh, man. He looks rough, man. He looks like it looks like a mugshot of Charlie Sheen or something. He looks like that one, like, Mohawk dude from Mad Max. You know who he looks like? He looks like Charlie Sheen in, uh, remember... Ferris oh, Bueller's wow. Day Off?
0: No, no. Does he? Oh no! I, I thought you were gonna say maybe uh, Major League, the baseball one. But you're talking about uh, Ferris Bueller, right?
1: Remember when they're in the, when the daughter gets arrested or whatever? Yeah, in the cop shop, hey? Yeah. I think Charlie Sheen's even wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Great band picks, though. Yeah. Sam's in- just young. He's just. Just a young little guy in this. Oh, yeah.
0: What What's going on in front of Bruce? Is he holding up like a fedora?
1: Looks like it, yeah.
0: In the foreground? Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. You don't have the insert, but I, I'm looking at it here. It's got some great band picks also, and the lyrics. One of them playing outside, which is really cool. And then inside the LP, I don't know if yours has this, but we, we mentioned this in the in- interview, the Leaving Trains Display Contest no i don't i don't have anything inside mine well someone must have entered it maybe <laughs> i hope so uh the cover photo was done by don lewis he's a musician uh, his, he has a thing called small, small drone orchestra who i've never heard he also did the cover art or the not the cover art the photos for the claw hammer album deep in the heart of nowhere i thought you would like that oh yeah, yeah. i like me some claw hammer What about some dead wax, Ryan? Coming right up.
0: Do you know that there's some on here? I do. Oh, okay. So side A says, dare to swear, which they definitely did. Yep. And then side B says, how to clear a room. I don't know if there's any on the promo single, though. I didn't look. Hmm. Let's see. Nothing. Just notes and the K-disc.
1: Great album, though. Yeah. It took a while to grow on you, hey? Uh, it just didn't grab me like the last one, but I definitely really, really like it. Man, great talking to Sam. You know I love the band The Hangman, so great to get a chance to talk about that. What a cool connection Sam had, had with, with Brian Small from that band, and I love the Nymphs. So great to get them kind of in the podcast. Yeah, you were definitely
0: loving that. I know. Yeah, that's great.
1: I pulled their album out this week to listen to it again. Love it. Sam's got dreadlocks. Aye, aye, aye. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> if I if I still had hair, I'd wear dreadlocks. Hundred percent. For sure. For sure yeah. I'd be all dreaded out.
1: Okay, Ryan. Let's do the ballot result. Ballot result. There's a few contenders. Hey. Well, I think you kind of said like the first 3 are just awesome for sure. Yep. Uh walking with you I really liked. Yeah, you mentioned that one. I like 27 Days. 27 Days is great. That's and the one I would I would go with 27. I don't know what I'm doing here is great. Yeah. But let's do 27 Days, man. It's written by Sam. He's our guest this week. It just makes sense. Sam Tune. Yep. Love it. Let's do that. Right on. Ryan. Do you know what I'm about to ask you?
0: Oh, man. I can't wait for next week. Ask it. What's next week, Ryan? Next week is SST 115, the Firehose album, Ifin. And if you thought Raging Full On was a perfect album, just wait for Ifin. Yeah.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com Thanks again for all the support and we hope to see you next week.